Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Welcome to the Yale University Press Podcast. I'm Michael Hoke. I think it's safe to say that most of us wish we could sleep more or maybe sleep better during the time we do have for rest at night. For something that we'll spend a third of our life doing, how much do we really understand the way sleep, or lack thereof, affects our waking lives? Dr. Mayer Krieger, a highly regarded global authority on sleep, professor at Yale School of Medicine, and author of The Mystery of Sleep, is here to answer that and more. Mayer, thank you for joining me today. So uh, to start out maybe broadly before we dive in, um, how does sleep affect us? What happens to us while we're asleep and what happens to us if we're not getting enough? There are a huge number of important things that happen while we're sleeping. Our brain gets rejuvenated. Um, we, we actually uh, hardwire the memories that we obtained on the previous day. Uh, we restore our tissues um, and we do a lot of metabolic things that keep us going and keep us healthy. And we all know what happens when we don't sleep. We become crabby, we become irritable. But much more important, if people do not sleep enough, they're sleepy during the daytime and they can be a great risk to themselves and to the public, especially if they're, for example, operating a motor vehicle or flying an airplane or driving a school bus, they can actually harm many, many people. And it's, you know, it's an interesting time to have this conversation because here uh, we've recently sprung ahead, as it were, for daylight savings time. Um, mm-hmm. These are some sort of changes to our time that happen just as a, as a matter of course. What, what is a change like that? What is daylight savings time or when we fall back uh, in the fall? What does that do to us? And um, how long can you expect those symptoms or effects to typically last? Well, uh, you know, so you would think that a one-hour time change would not be a big deal, but in fact, it is. If people lose an hour of sleep, um, they're, they're not going to be as functional uh, as, as if they had had a good night's sleep. And so we can actually measure that. And people have done studies, for example, looking at car accidents after uh, a change of time. And, and, there, and those kinds of things have actually been confirmed. Now, believe it or not, um, uh, there are many people that, that have shift work and they do other things where they lose a little bit of sleep or a lot of sleep, and they have a lot of trouble doing their jobs. We worry about one hour, but what about the, the student who loses four to f- uh, five hours because they go to sleep at two in the morning and uh, at seven o'clock or five o'clock, their parent wakes them up to get ready to go to school. So um, as a society, we have a lot of problems with sleep. Uh, We are a sleep-deprived society, unfortunately, and that seems to apply to all levels uh, of society, including our presidents, uh, current and and former. Yeah, uh, that that brings up a good point. Um, What would you say to people who like uh, Presidents Clinton, Obama, and even Trump, have said that they can get by on only a few hours of sleep. Are there really a small group of people who can do this? Is that a myth? Are they suppressing sort of their feeling tired? What, what, what is them? Well, um, so 
Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton um, um, once said to a friend of his that every important mistake he ever made was when he was sleep deprived. <laughs> And, and sleep deprivation, um, it affects people's mood, it affects their judgment, and they just don't function as well. Um, in the last year, President Obama um, actually um, said at, at, a, at, a, at a breakfast meeting that once he left office, he would like to do nothing but sleep for three to four months or something like that. I'm not quoting him directly, but it was pretty, but this is pretty close. In other words, when you don't sleep enough, your mood isn't great, your judgment isn't great, you tend to make a lot of mistakes. And the thing about sleep deprivation is that people who are sleep deprived may not appreciate their impairment. Um, just like someone who's had too much alcohol to drink, they think that they can drive, but they're actually impaired mm -hmm. when we test them objectively, or you know, we know that they get into a lot of accidents. So that's one of the dangers of sleep deprivation, especially chronic sleep deprivation, is that it builds up and the person builds up a sleep debt um, and, and they become tremendously uh, tired, but they may not appreciate how abnormal things really are for them. And that's, that's an interesting phrase um, I've heard before, the sleep debt. Is this something, so if I miss an hour of sleep uh, a few nights a week, does this, do I have to gain, say, three extra hours to make up for it? Is this like a cumulative debt that happens, or are there ways, are you sort of stuck forever being in debt? Well, you're, you're not stuck forever being in debt. Um, what you're stuck with is the fact that you need to do something in order to deal with the, uh, with the sleep debt, which means you, you have to actually sleep more. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things about sleep debt, as, as you mentioned, it accumulates. Mm -hmm. So if someone only sleeps, let's say, four hours a night for a variety of reasons, by about a week, they are as abnormal in, in, the, in their performance as if they had been up the entire uh, night and not slept at all. In other words, there's no question that, that chronic sleep deprivation gets worse and worse and worse in terms of impairment. Um, so what other effects are there? Obviously, if you're operating machinery or driving, what, what sort of health effects does um, this sleep deprivation have on us? Well, um, it has a lot of health effects because a lot of metabolic things are linked to how much sleep you are getting and to your circadian rhythm. So, uh, for example, um, um, uh, people that do not sleep enough tend to become obese mm -hmm. and they tend to develop the features, for example, of diabetes. They develop what's called insulin resistance. We know that when people don't sleep enough, um, they, their immune system doesn't function as well. And so, for example, vaccination um, that occurs, uh, that is done when someone is sleep deprived is not as effective um, immediately as someone who is vaccinated when they're wide awake and alert and have slept the normal amount of time. So, the, so the, these are all things that are um, really important. But the other important thing of not sleeping in enough is that your memory and concentration are going to be impaired. Um, and in other words, you, you'll be okay for short tasks, 
but any prolonged task, a mission critical task, um, you're going to have a lot of difficulty with it uh, if you haven't slept enough. And some of the sleep disorders that we see in, in our clinic, and, and these I mention in the book, for example, sleep apnea mm -hmm. and, and, and other disorders, they are associated with an increased risk of, of heart disease, high blood pressure, and stroke. So uh, these are uh, so sleep disorders, which we once thought were, you know, how, how can anything go wrong in sleep? We now know that many bad things can happen during sleep, and they can have very negative consequences. Speaking of um, sleep clinics, what are, what are some of the common things that, that people come into a sleep clinic for? Well, the, the commonest complaint that you see at a typical sleep clinic is severe daytime sleepiness. The person has fallen asleep driving, the person can't stay awake at work, falls asleep working um, at their computer, um, has fallen asleep driving and gotten into a terrible accident. So these are all reasons why someone comes in. So that's one sort of um, um, cluster of symptoms. The second one is insomnia people having trouble falling asleep and staying asleep, that again is a very, very um, uh, common presentation uh, in a sleep clinic. And there are many, many reasons why people are, are having trouble um, with that. Snoring is another very common symptom that we see and usually it's the bed partner that brings in the uh, patient because a, a person who's sleeping does not appreciate that they're snoring, but the bed partner does. And the, and the bed partner of someone who snores or someone who has sleep apnea, um, they actually will lose one or two hours of sleep a night, um, and which can be very distressing for them. In other words, they will have sort of a secondhand sleep disorder. And the last big group of patients that we see are people that I call having weird behaviors sleep talkers, sleepwalkers. There are some people who re re react physically and very aggressively to their dream content, which they should not do. And people that have post-traumatic stress disorder who have a lot of um, um, nightmares, repetitive nightmares of what they have uh, uh, observed um, or, or participated in um, that that keeps on replaying and, and these nightmares and post-traumatic stress disorder, they can be present for 20, 30, 40, or even 50 years after the traumatic event. And um, sort of taking the opposite tack, what are, what are some symptoms that people tend to ignore um, that they should have checked out? Well, the main symptom that people ignore um, is sleepiness. And because if someone has been sleepy for much of their life, they may not even perceive that they're sleepy because this has become their new normal. And so they believe that falling asleep at work is normal. They believe that falling asleep at a movie theater or opera or ballet or you name it is normal. They, they think that um, uh, falling asleep driving at a red light might even be normal. And, and we've seen all of those things. And so when someone falls asleep at the wrong time and the wrong place, that is, that is a red alert. That's a flag that they should pay attention to, that they actually need to 
take care of it because it's a very serious symptom. And it's a symptom of, of different kinds of sleep disorders, and most of these sleep disorders are actually treatable. Um, and so this idea of, of daytime sleepiness, I think probably that <laughs> a lot of people uh, experience this, at least at some point. Is there an amount, I mean, is there... Is any amount of daytime sleepiness normal? Is it normal to get sort of tired through the course of the day? Um, at what point do you sort of say this is this is too much? It's too much when it starts to interfere with your life, uh, with your work, and so forth. And one of the manifestations of sleepiness, for example, is being very irritable. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we all recognize the person that hasn't slept enough. They're irritable. They're snappy. You don't want to be around them. Um, and so, so those kinds of symptoms, which could be subtle, but not necessarily so subtle, they need to really be addressed. Um, falling asleep, uh, watching television late at night, some people would consider normal. And in many cases, it, it is falling asleep two o'clock in the afternoon while you're at work at your computer probably is not normal and should be investigated. And certainly falling asleep driving Mm-hmm. Uh, is never normal. Um, what are the links between um, sleep and mental disorders, uh, such as anxiety, depression? Um, is there a link there? Well, yeah, there's a very powerful link there. Approximately half of patients that have mental disorders will have sleep complaints, the commonest one of uh, being um, uh, insomnia. And so insomnia is very common. For example, in depression, a very early symptom uh, is waking up very early in the morning and being unable to fall asleep again. So there is an overlap uh, between those symptoms. Now, the other um, area where where there's a concern is that some of the drugs that are being used to treat um, uh, mental disorders, the drugs have side effects that can actually affect sleep. Uh, for example, antipsychotic agents uh, can make someone sleepy during the daytime. Also, they may um, result in the person putting on a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Increased weight is one of the factors that uh, increases the risk of sleep apnea. So, for example, it's not unusual that people being treated with some of these conditions will have more than one sleep disorder. Um, so, so one needs to pay attention to the medications. The medications can make you sleepy, and can also interfere uh, with sleep as well. And are there times where the, um, the opposite is true, where perhaps um, a lack of sleep is leading to some of the, the depression or anxiety? Well, yeah, um, the, uh, that's certainly a hypothesis that, that, is, uh, you know, that is believed by many people that a lack of sleep can actually lead to mental illness or can lead to severe depression. And uh, there was a study that was done years ago um, on Johns Hopkins uh, medical students. And what they found in that study is that that students who were having trouble with their sleep um, while they were students, 30, 40 years later, had a greater prevalence of of actually having depression. And for students, uh, you, you talk about that and how, you know, you're waking up early and you're going to school. What, what can you do as a student, say, uh, you know, or the parent of a younger student even, 
to sort of help with this um, kind of cycle that you get caught in of staying up late and then getting up for school early? Well, yeah, and, and the, the issue there is to make sleep a priority. And basically, the, the parent needs to sometimes be quite assertive and say, okay, we're not going to be using um, any screens right before bed. And the reason uh, using screens before bed is that the, the brightness of, of, of the light that's emanating from the screens can actually interfere with sleep. Um, the, and, and that's been shown in, in several uh, studies. So, so that's one thing, no electronics. Um, the students should maybe spend one or two hours kind of winding down and not studying until the last possible moment or texting or being on the computer until the last possible moment because you're not going to go from being wide awake and aroused to being able to fall asleep instantly. And the other thing that, that happens in, in, in late teenagers, early college years, is that, is that um, a person's circadian clock changes uh, in, in many instances. And what I mean, so we all have a clock in our brain, and teenagers, um, uh, starting in the teenage years, the clock may start running late, and the student may not start to become tired or sleepy until 11, uh, midnight, 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And that needs to be recognized. Um, and, and so when a student like that has to get up at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning, they're going to be severely sleep deprived. And the first few hours that they're in school, uh, they're going to have a lot of difficulty either learning or staying awake. Uh, and, and so that's a real problem. And so that issue is, a, is really one of society. Um, uh, there are a lot of school districts in the U.S. where parents are making a big effort uh, to actually change the school start time. And there are many parts of the country where that has been successful. And research has shown that when that is done, there's an improvement in, in academic scores. So that is something that uh, people need to work at, but that requires organization at the local level. And this idea of the, the circadian clock, can you... if if you're off, I guess, I don't if I'm putting that inelegantly, is there a way to reset or change this clock? I mean, I guess it would happen, for example, if you switched shifts from a morning shift to a night shift. Or are there ways to sort of reset that or, I guess, jet lag well, as well? Th yeah, th there are ways to try to reset it. Now, the body clock, the, um, it it's actually sits in the middle of the brain in a place called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, and it gets input from the eyes. And what resynchronizes or helps synchronize that clock is exposure to light, is exposure to, to sunlight. So this, so this clock is one that, auto, uh, that keeps on fine-tuning its own adjustment. What the clock is not that good at is, is a big change in circadian uh, rhythm. For example, if you go to, um, you know, from New Haven, let's say, to London, Paris, Rome, where there may be a six or seven hour difference, it's not that great. The clock isn't that good at resetting itself right away. And when you think in terms of evolution, why would, it, why would people evolve with that in mind? In other words, the, 
the the clock is designed more to stabilize things, not to change things. Mm-hmm. So um, there are strategies that people can can try uh, to quick to more quickly readjust the circadian clock due to jet lag or shift work, but um, the, the the results are not perfect um, by any means. So is it just a matter of sort of acclimating over time to the new? Well, yeah, it's acclimating and not doing stupid things, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's, um, that's really important. And you want to acclimate, if you're going to be traveling to any uh, place that's, a, let's say, six-hour difference, is you want to quickly acclimate to the local time. You don't want to start going back and forth and, and Sometimes people will use a, a medication such as mm-hmm. melatonin to help. Uh, they will use sunlight to help. In other words, when they wake up in the morning of their destination, they'll be exposed to, to sunlight. Uh, that'll certainly help as well. And this, I mean, from my personal experience, um, I've, I always found, for example, I used to travel between the U.S. and Japan, and I used to find that going to Japan was easier to acclimate than coming back. Is that is there a reason for that? Is is that just me or? Well, yeah. Uh, that okay. So if you're traveling, um, and and I'm guessing that from um, from New Haven to Tokyo, for example, it's what a ten, eleven, or twelve hour difference. Something like uh, yeah, that. Yeah, right. Depending on yeah. fourteen. So it doesn't much. So remember that you know that our planet we have twenty four time zones. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if you're if if you're completely out of sync. In other words, if if there's a twelve hour difference, it doesn't really matter if you go from east to west or from west to east. In other words, you could go to Japan either flying over Europe or you know over the the pole mm-hmm. or you know directly west it doesn't make a whole lot of difference um and and so many people for example have uh, if you're flying a shorter distance um for example if you're flying to um let's say england um most people will have less trouble coming back to the u.s than going over Mm -hmm. in other words uh they're going to have less trouble going west rather than than east Mm -hmm. but it varies a lot Um, and um, in my book i have several examples scenarios of what people can do depending on where they're traveling and how long the trip is going to be so um let's say you know you hear this or you read the book and you decide to get help uh for Mm -hmm. for for sleepiness or for some sort of um, symptoms that you're having what is the best way for you as a, as a patient to prepare to talk to your doctor about this? Well, th- this is where, um, um, you know, the public needs to be armed with knowledge. And what I mean by that is that if, uh, you know, let's say we have a woman who's in her 40s um, and is a bit overweight, goes to a doctor and says, doctor, I am really sleepy chances are that doctor is going to assume that that person is depressed and will start them on antidepressants. And I can tell you that I have seen that phenomenon hundreds of times uh, in, in, in my career. And so the, the, the most doctors, many doctors today, did not have a lot of 
uh, training in sleep during medical school or, um, or if they did their medical specialties. So we have a, a big educational failing and some doctors will know and some doctors won't know. But um, the hypothetical patient that I met, uh, that I just mentioned, is very likely to have sleep apnea. Hmm. And so, and that is eminently treatable, and the right treatment is not an antidepressant, it's, it's a device to treat the sleep apnea. So, um, going to, the, to your doctor armed with information is the smartest thing that someone can do uh, when they have this kind of problem. And, uh, and, you know, doctors more and more are, are starting, you know, uh, the family doctors are more and more understanding about sleep disorders, and that is great, but we're not quite there yet. There's still, um, uh, most patients with sleep disorders have not yet been diagnosed, and for sleep apnea, for example, that is a huge problem among females who have not yet been diagnosed. And... Um... Along the same uh, line here, if you are um, perhaps getting or going going to a sleep clinic, um, what can you expect when you go there? Is this is it um, is it a fairly straightforward process? It, it is fairly straightforward, and the first thing that's going to happen is that you're you're going to see a sleep specialist, and this is a, a doctor who's had a ton of training. Uh, usually, they will have had internal medicine, uh, uh, pulmonary, and or um, neurology, psychiatry, for example, and then most of the time they have had extra training in sleep disorders. So, you, so the first thing that will happen is that the patient will see someone who knows about sleep, and that's very important. And depending on how that visit goes and what is found, then testing um, may be ordered and, and done, and then the analysis of the sleep study will often determine uh, what the next step is, like what the treatment should be, and if it's a chronic illness like sleep apnea, what the management is going to be like. And so, um, what what's what's your what your biggest piece of advice for people out there um, as far as you know if they're in doubt or if they feel sleepy or if they're just not even sure? What what what's your biggest piece of advice? Well, I have two pieces of advice. Um, one piece of advice is make sleep a priority. Mm -hmm. um, try to get your seven to nine hours on the average if you can. You will feel wide awake, you'll be alert, and you're going to function at your best. So that's number one. The second piece of advice is if you're having a sleep problem, either you're not falling asleep at night or you're excessively sleepy during the daytime, do something about it because most of the time we can really help that. Great. Uh, Mayor, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you very much. The book is The Mystery of Sleep, Why a Good Night's Rest is Vital to a Better, Healthier Life. That does it for this episode of the Yale University Press podcast. Thank you for listening, and please visit us online at www.yalebooks.com to keep up with this podcast as well as the latest from our blog and our authors. For more episodes, please subscribe on iTunes or find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite app. Talk to you next time.